Attention men, are you wanting to break free from porn or other unwanted sexual behaviors, but finding it seemingly impossible to quit? If so, we can help. My name is Jonathan Darty, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. This three-day workshop is for any man who wants to overcome any kind of unwanted sexual behavior. So whether you're married, single, or divorced, this powerful and proven intensive weekend will help you uncover what is at the root of your struggle and discover the man God always created you to be. Space is limited, so call us today at 210-822-8201 to register. That's 210-822-8201 or visit bebroken.org slash gtf. Good day, listeners and viewers. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and we actually have a friend uh, back with us uh, from the Pacific Northwest. We've got my friend and colleague Nick Stumbo with Pure Desire. So, Nick, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be back, Jonathan. And as always, I'm, I love having these conversations with you, and it's a good day. Yeah, well, considering the conversation that we're going to be diving into today, I want to just get right to it because I feel like there's a lot uh, to be addressed here. I think I feel like in some ways it's it's uh, it can be kind of a lightning rod um, topic right now, but we're going to try to tackle the issue of sexual sin and church leaders. And so I would love for you to be able to just give us the lay of the land. What are we talking about here? What's been going on um, when we when we think about uh, church leaders, pastors, and this issue of sexual sin. Can you can you share a little bit of what you're seeing, and especially the fact that some of our listeners may not know this if they haven't heard the previous broadcast that you were on with us. But hey, you're you're a pastor yourself, so you know the position. Uh, so speak into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate the question, Jonathan, and it's it's definitely a road that that I have walked down. I was a pastor for 15 years in full time ministry, and for um, Eleven of those years was a senior pastor, and you know what I what I look at when I see this landscape is we are seeing men and women who enter into ministry, who really feel a call by God to to serve Him full time with their lives, but one of the things I feel like we're missing is that it doesn't magically or somehow automatically mature these men and women into being sexually whole and healthy adults. That we're we're entering into ministry often in our early to mid twenties and like the general population, there are things we deal with and struggle with, but the danger is that for men and women in ministry, there is little to no um, training, guidance, supervision that is ever offered specifically in the area of sexual wholeness and integrity. We, we make a lot of assumptions that, well, they're, boy, they're a pastor, they're called to ministry, they must be good in this area. And we maybe ask a few questions up front in a, a licensing interview or when we're ordaining someone, um, and, and most people, quite frankly, have learned how to answer those questions appropriately. So they get licensed and ordained, and it's a very minor part of the process that I found. But, but then um, these men and women are serving in ministry in positions where they feel like it's not safe to acknowledge their struggles, particularly in the area of their sexuality. It's, it's so taboo in the church to begin with, or at least most churches. And if it's taboo in the church, it's even more so taboo for a leader to express, hey, I've I still have unresolved issues here that I need to deal with. And so 
rather than being open and honest, uh, they continue to struggle alone. And it truly is a double bind for pastors and leaders because they feel like if I were to be honest about my sexual brokenness, if I were to, to ask for help from my elders or the people who are employing me, I would likely lose my job. But in not asking for help, I stay stuck, I battle alone, and, and as we know, isolation and secrecy is where struggles with pornography and lust and all kinds of sexual brokenness, it's where it thrives. And so it's, it's truly a unique double bind, and we're seeing that you know, as, as these major stories come out, whether it's about Carl Lentz with Hillsong or you know, the late Ravi Zacharias and the very, very sad story that's coming out about his life, and we, we get kind of the, as I see it, we get the outcome um, mm. of people's lives. We get the outcome of unaddressed sexual brokenness and everyone reacts with, you know, shock and awe and how could this happen and what was wrong with them. And I, I think we make perhaps a fundamental error that just believes, well, they were a, a bad leader from the get-go and we're just hiding it. Um, but, but I would ask the question, if, if we knew someone's story, if we knew what was going on early in their life with their sexual brokenness and struggles, could it be that these unaddressed problems over time grew to the point that they did become major problems, but what if as leaders, they had the opportunity to address those issues early on in their life? And that's just, you know, to quickly share, that's my story. I was uh, in full-time pastoral ministry at 22, and I had an on-again, off-again struggle with pornography. And I, I felt like I was doing everything the church had taught me how to deal with integrity with that struggle. Um, I, I jokingly tell people I was a serial confessor, because mm -hmm. James chapter five says to confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. And in my story, I, I had this deep conviction that every time was the last time because now I, I would confess it and I would, I would mean it and I would be prayed for and feel that sense of release. And like, finally, I, I dealt with it deeply enough. I meant it bad enough that this time I'll be free and, and often would be for several months and yet only to have the behaviors return without you know, I, I didn't make any deep heart change when I was prayed for. I think confession was good, but I mistakenly saw confession as the goal rather than seeing confession as the starting point. And so I was dealing with this binge purge pornography issue for the first 10 years of my ministry. And it really wasn't until our denomination at a district level offered a pathway for pastors. And they said, you know, there were parameters with it. It wasn't just a blank check like, hey, we'll help you and it doesn't matter what you've done. They said, as, as long as your behavior doesn't involve other people or anything illegal, if it's an issue with internet pornography and lust and stuff in the mind, we want to work with you to get healthy and free and to stay in ministry because we don't believe this has to, to, to nullify or undermine your call. And with that pathway being presented, it was actually what introduced me to Pure Desire Ministries. My wife and I did a year of counseling together, entered into groups for the first time in our lives that were dealing you know, intensively with sexual brokenness and the betrayal trauma that my wife was experiencing. And with the support of my district supervisor and, and my elders over me, who they had, they had been some of the people I had confessed to early in my pastoral days. I, I felt the elders needed to know. And they had been gracious and forgiving, but also, you know, concerned to say this, this needs to stop in your life. It's not appropriate. And, and I knew that. And so that fear of my continued struggle, when they were willing to support me through a recovery process, it was a game changer because it, it changed our marriage and it changed my behavior and ultimately became something we were able to share with the church because there was an environment where I could finally face it. And I, my only regret as I look back is that it, that it took 10 years, that it mm -hmm. took 10 years of that 
that double bind in my life where I felt the fear of, boy, if I admit I'm struggling, I might be fired, but fighting it alone, I'm continuing to lose. I wish that opportunity had been there in my first year. And I just wonder what kind of um, growth could have resulted from dealing with it earlier in my life. So that, that's kind of a long winding answer to your question um, about the landscape we see and how it relates to my life. But I, I think because of that, because of my story and what we do now at Pure Desire in working with hundreds of leaders and pastors every year, that hope is possible, that freedom is possible. And, and yes, if it gets to the point that a pastor crosses certain lines with other people or into illegal things, it, it does necessitate that they be removed from a role. I mean, that's the harsh reality of consequences and having to face the music. But my heart's cry is for the thousands of leaders that are struggling with something below the surface that hasn't yet gotten to that level of the extremes, and they just don't know where to go for help or how. And so they stay stuck in that same double bind that I've described. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot to unpack here because one of the things that I want to, our listeners to hear from you is, you know, there is a there is a standard that God has for uh, what is called the overseer or the pastor, the church leader. Um, we get that in, you know, First Timothy 3 is one place where we're told, hey, there's this above reproach mantle, right, that is placed on the, the person who's going to be in leadership. How do you see, though, the position of pastor as it is currently structured in most evangelical churches actually working against that leader's ability to keep living and walking into that calling of being above reproach? Because you talked about the double bind, right? Can you talk about yeah. maybe some some fallacies of how that position is structured organizationally now to where it's almost as if this person's ongoing sanctification is tied to their paycheck and whether or not they have a yeah. job? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways what we have done in the evangelical church is we have postured the leaders and pastors really in a performance-based role that, that they need to perform well, not only in their skills and abilities like preaching and leading, but also in their personal life to have this just above reproach character and family life and just all the things need to be dialed in. And, and, and I agree that there do need to be some standards of what's going on in a person's life. But I think at the same time, we fail to take seriously that pastors at the end of the day are also human beings who are men and women being shaped into the image of God in an ongoing process. And that call to ministry doesn't make all of those problems go away. And so there are certainly topics that it, it seems safe for a pastor to maybe ask for help with if, if they're maybe a workaholic or they're battling some kind of emotional thing. I, I, I find there's more openness now for a pastor to say, I'm burnt out and I need some retreat or refreshment. We, we support that. But because of that kind of standard we've created that just says, well, a pastor should be above reproach sexually. And, and I don't know that the standard is wrong. I just think that the way that we help men and women going into ministry is flawed because as I said earlier, we assume they have that part of their life dialed in. Otherwise, you know, don't even apply. Mm -hmm. When the truth is because we're all sexual beings made in the image of God to be a sexual being, but born into a broken and sinful world, fallenness has impacted our sexuality to one degree or another. And, and I find, you know, in my story, I went to eight years of Bible college and seminary education. And in those eight years, I can remember one hour of class, not a whole credit hour, just one hour of class spent on um, the, the personal sexuality of myself as the leader. 
And so we're, we're asking leaders to adhere to a standard, but not providing any direction, guidance, or training to help them live out what we're asking them to do. So it, I might liken it to if, if we were hiring someone to be a preaching pastor, but we didn't ever give them any guidance, instruction about how to preach. And, and mm -hmm. so we just expected day one that they're going to be this amazing preacher. Um, you know, even with men and women that have been trained to preach, we expect there's going to be a learning curve. It's, it's going to take them some time to understand kind of their approach and their style and their voice. Well, what if there's some truth to that with our sexuality? That to acknowledge, I, I have issues with lust. I have issues where I've gotten stuck in patterns in my past that aren't totally dealt with. What if there was the freedom for a leader to address that? And in the same manner for churches to approach it to say, that's fantastic. We're, mm -hmm. we're here to be a helping, healing place where you also, even as the leader, can grow. And, and that doesn't mean that the leader should be growing like through their preaching of, of being honest in the pulpit about that week's struggles, but it does mean there should be a place within the church structure or leadership system that says, here is how we help, here's where we provide training, because we don't expect pastors to be perfect in their sexuality any more than we would expect a pastor to be perfect in all the other areas of their life. It's just acknowledging the humanness of the leader. And I think in the end, ultimately, we would get much better leadership because then it wouldn't be grounded in kind of this performance mindset of let's act like you have it all together. Instead, it could really be rooted in God's call on their life because God's call and anointing on their life was there even though God knew the struggles and issues and things they were dealing mm -hmm. with. And so if, if we could say, we want to help you live out the truth of God's call on your life, and part of that will be your own personal journey of sanctification, I, I think we would release leaders from some of this performance mode that they have to always be in and let them be real people that could then lead out of their humility and their vulnerability rather than trying to act like they have it all together, even at times they don't. So I want us to try to address uh, three uh, entities within the church that are interconnected on this issue, and I'd I'd love us to address it from the standpoint of what would you what would you do in order to set this up for success, and then the other is how would you respond to when a leader has either been struggling or he's fallen into you know uh, crossing certain lines, and the three entities are this: we've got the pastor. We've got whatever the uh, church leadership structure is, an elder board, a session, something like that. And then we have the congregation, the members of the church body. How, let's take that first scenario of like, let's say you're, you kind of have a blank slate and you say, we want to form a local church and we want to do this well. And we want to, to invite a pastor into the calling that God has put on his life. How would you envision or or even counsel those three entities of the pastor, the church leadership, and the congregation to work together in that for the ultimate success, not only of the, the leader, but also that local church in this yeah. area of dealing with yeah. sexual sin? Yeah, that, that's a great question. In some ways, the, the easiest place to start is with the congregation, with the people, because I have found both in my story and in so many churches I've talked to, the people in the pew, if we could put it that way, they don't expect near the level of perfection that pastors think they do. I mean, they, they know their own brokenness. They know their own struggle. And what I find often or over and over is, is when a pastor can start to admit to his own struggles, actually the people that are in the congregation can take a deep breath and go, oh, okay, good. 
they're kind of like us, that they're human too. And, mm-hmm. and there's some common bondedness that can be formed actually between a pastor and the church when this, it isn't an us and them, and we're up here in spiritual leadership and the rest of them are down below. It's like, no, we're, we're all in this together. And I think part of that may be within a congregation communicating, uh, going back to what does it mean for someone to be called into ministry? That we're not having someone be the pastor because they're the most spiritual gifted person in the room in all areas. And I think that's sometimes our flawed perception of the pastor, that, that they are the most spiritual one among us, and so we anointed them pastor. I mean, I, I really, I look back at my years in the church, and I fully believe many of, if not all, my elders were far more spiritually mature than I was. But they would be the first to say they didn't have the call or the gifting to be the pastor. And, and there was something freeing about when I let go of the idea that I had to be the most spiritual person in the room in order to be the pastor, but I could stand on the idea that, that God had called me to this. He'd led mm-hmm. me to it. And then to work with those that were spiritually mature. And I, I think if a congregation was kind of trained in that and taught that we're not going to put our pastor up on this pedestal to be somehow superhuman, we are expecting them to pursue their call and to pursue integrity and holiness, but we're believing they're human just like the rest of us. And I, like I said, I think most congregations really welcome that. It's like, yes, yes, we're in this together. Um, I, th- I think if I were to set up the church leadership, you know, it's it's really, we have a lot of the right pieces in place in terms of how we license someone or do interviews. We ask good questions. Uh, but what I find so often is we don't actually have a plan or a process in place when someone says, yes, I've struggled with pornography. Um, so my recommendation would be keep asking those questions. You know, ask a question like in any time in the last year, have you struggled with pornography viewed pornography or acted out through masturbation. And if someone marks yes, to be clear to say that, that's not like a yes, we hire you, no, we fire you. That right. We just want to discover what's going on. And if, if you mark yes, then we have a plan of some discipleship-based steps we would like you to take to keep working through your integrity. And what that could create then is from the get-go at licensing or hiring, a pastor could feel like, oh, my leaders have my back. They They actually want to see my integrity and holiness. And they're not just, you know, sitting back waiting for me to mess up and then I'll be fired. So I I think it would change the whole paradigm of how most or many pastors feel about kind of that tension in their leadership. And, you know, then, then for the pastor themselves, I I think I, I mean, obviously I encourage being trained. I encourage that we go to Bible college and seminary. Those aren't bad things at all, but I, I think we need to take personal responsibility to say, just like I'm being trained in the word of God, just like I'm being trained in leadership skill, I need to be trained in healthy sexuality in my own life. And that means dealing with past choices. That means dealing with my patterns and, and taking responsibility to say, I, I'm not just going to hope this gets better and goes away because I go into ministry, but I'm going to take the steps necessary. And if that includes counseling, being in a group, then, then I'm going to do it because I want that for myself. And I, I think if all three of those entities kind of rallied around that idea, it could shift the way leaders feel about dealing with their brokenness. And then, Lord willing, we wouldn't have to wait when a decade or two decades down the road, the affair comes out or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the abusive situation comes out or the, the other issues that we're seeing in the news. It's like, let's not wait for that. Let's not deal with the fruits of people's brokenness anymore. Let's help them deal with the roots. Let's help them mm-hmm. early on. And if we can create that healthy pathway, to me, here's the exciting thing. Like if a church created that pathway with their lead pastor or their first pastor, then when they hire the next pastor or an associate pastor, guess what's happened? 
Well, there's already an environment for that. There's already a culture of grace and discipleship that just says, hey, you're one of our leaders. Great. We want you to go through this sexual integrity class for your own healing. And, and it's just part of how we develop our staff. And because that staff member could go, oh, my lead pastor did the same thing and he's championing me to deal with my own integrity. Now I'm walking through it with this sense of, of courage and conviction versus the fear of, boy, if, if I let out my secrets, are they going to kick me out of the church? So mm-hmm. I, I think that's just a, a picture that I would paint of what it could look like to do this right. Now, the the, the far more common scenario is we've got tons of existing churches out there right now where there's a yeah. pastor who is either secretly or silently struggling with porn or some other kind of sexual sin. How are how how are we to help those pastors and help those churches to be able to respond to this and walk through uh, a redemptive process whether or not that pastor is fully restored to that particular role or even some other kind of ministry role? How would you help a church navigate that? situation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think first and foremost, Jonathan, I would speak to the leader or the pastor themselves just to say, if if you're in that double bind of that fear of if I expose my sin, I'll be fired. But in hiding it, I continue to struggle. You've got to get out of the double bind. And and that means facing your, your struggle. And if you truly believe it's not safe to reveal like to your leaders or your elders, you need to pursue it through private counseling, groups like Pure Desire that, that have online counseling and online groups, go to a ministry like Be Broken and say, I'm, I know you guys do those intensive workshops, and I'm confident that a pastor could find a way to attend that without needing to alert their whole church that they're doing it. Like, like as a leader, begin to pursue your healing and your purity, whether or not you believe the church will be on board. Because the truth is, in I mean, in my own story and in so many I've heard, it will not get better over time it will get worse. And ironically, to quote Ravi Zacharias, he's the one most known for saying that it will take you further than you meant to go, keep you longer than you meant to stay, and cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay. And that is the nature of our sexual brokenness. And so if as a leader, we can just humbly acknowledge that and say, this isn't going to get better until I deal with it, and we face it head on, I, I believe God will use that. And, and in many, many stories, I've just seen that God uses the healing that happens in the leader's life to actually be the transformation that can occur within the leadership team, within the board, and ultimately the congregation, because healing is hard to hide. Freedom is hard to hide. And I believe a a pastor who's getting healthy, even if they believe their secrets being known might lead to their termination, they get to a point of just saying, "I'm, I'm finding personal freedom and I need to be able to tell my story. And if telling my story to my board means that I'm fired, then that may not be the right environment for them anyway. But mm-hmm. I would say by and large, when a pastor is pursuing and wants healing and is coming in vulnerability and, and in a desire to be transformed, I find more often than not, elders want to work with that person. They want to figure out how do we redeem and restore this. And, you know, depending on the denomination they're a part of or the, the structure of the church, there may be some needs to to step out of a lead role for a while or to step out of a teaching role for a while. But but I, I really believe we can set it up redemptively that says we're, we're working towards this person's wholeness and being used in the church just like we would if someone in the church came to us. Because I, I think that may be the unintended byproduct that many churches haven't thought about is when they don't help their leaders deal with sexual brokenness, and the only time they do is when it comes out and then there's kind of a big ordeal and there's a firing and a dismissal, 
what does that communicate to people in the church? It communicates the same message of, well, hey, if you're dealing with this, we don't want you here. You got to go deal with that somewhere else. And the church isn't safe, not only for the leader, but for the people in the church. But when we do the flip side, when we help the pastor heal and it's safe for our leaders to heal, we communicate that message to the church body too that says this is a place that God can redeem and restore our broken sexuality. Whether you're in ministry or just showing up a couple of times a month to hear a sermon, God is in the business of sexual restoration and redemption, and it's for all people. And that's the message we want everyone to hear. Yeah, now speak to, because see, I think sometimes, uh, by the way, what you're speaking, you're speaking my language. This is a grace-based approach. I mean, it's really about trying to say this is about reconciliation and redemption. It's not about punishment. Um, But I think some people are so gripped by the fear of really releasing um, themselves and their their congregation or the people around them into that grace-based process because it feels like it's out of their control. And so can you talk a little bit about how actually by going through such a grace-based approach and saying this is about redemption, not punishment, that it can actually end up counterintuitively producing far more, if I can put it this way, righteousness among those leaders and those people, rather than, oh, you know what? They're just going to slip further into, see, you're given license. You're just saying, yeah. acting like it's no big deal. They have this idea that grace is has no accountability. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. When I hear you ask that question, Jonathan, what comes to mind is I, I think some maybe confusions that we've made along these areas that, that we tend to, um, we think that grace means the elimination of consequences. Which, which is not true. I mean, grace implies forgiveness. Grace implies a process of reconciliation or redemption, but there may still be natural and logical consequences of a person's behavior. And so if, if a pastor in their brokenness has betrayed people's trust, there are consequences of needing to rebuild trust. And that may require stepping out of a role, or that may require having some responsibilities temporarily pulled away. Uh, so if we can see that that grace can still be offered while consequences still might need to be a part of the story, that can help us feel more confidence to offer the grace because it's not just a, you know, this blank check, get out a free card. Uh, and the other confusion would maybe be that we assimilate or we put together repentance with permission. It's like, well, as long as they're repentant, then we're like, well, whatever, just do what you want. And, and that's not what we're saying at all, that that repentance is grounded in a recognition that something that's happened is wrong and needs mm-hmm. to change. And so that's not just a license for a pastor to keep struggling or like, oh, he struggles with pornography, no big deal. No, we're not saying that, that at all. We're, we're saying repentance is, yes, you've struggled. And as a part of our church, we want to help you be redeemed and restored. And I, I think when we keep those in mind that that we can still have a good process of dealing with consequences and of, of transformation and and that repentance, like I said earlier, that, that repentance and confession is a starting point of a healing journey. That's where character transformation takes place. Because I, I think if, if we just think, well, we just need our pastor to be honest that he's struggling, and then we're going to offer grace, and he'll be repentant, and we'll move on. It's like nothing will change. But if our pastor is repentant and honest about struggles in their life, and we forgive and offer grace. And with that, we enter with them into a process of transformation that, you know, like for Pure Desire would involve being in counseling for a year and a pretty intense process of going through groups. Now, now that's a whole different scenario, that, that there is restoration happening because of transformation that, that's occurring. And so I, 
I think in that grace-based environment, we see that there, there are still steps to be taken towards health. Then we feel like, oh, grace is actually the starting point of that process of transformation. It's not just that we offer grace and then everybody goes on and acts like nothing happened. Um, so in a sense, and I've, I've tried to help people see it, that it's actually making a bigger deal of sin mm-hmm. because we see that the sin is so grievous and potentially so destructive that we are willing to invest whatever it takes into our leaders to help them get healthy and free because we recognize the potential consequences or damage that could come if this pattern of sin isn't corrected in their life. And so when we elevate grace and when we elevate a real process of transformation, I think at the same time, we actually elevate what we mean by sin, that we recognize the potential destructive consequences or nature of sin, and then we're willing to do whatever we can to help a person overcome that, whether they're, again, the Mm -hmm. pastor or someone in our church. I appreciate you saying that because I think, haven't we seen that in the sort of cut them off and kick them out uh, response to a a pastor's struggle with sexual sin is what ends up happening. Well, he goes to another state, starts another church, he gets another church, and and the the cycle continues. So I think by what you're saying is trying to bring a redemptive plan into that local church, you're saying, we, we don't want to see this cycle repeated anywhere else. So we'd rather yeah, deal yeah. with it here and try to help here rather than seeing it replicate somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and when we kick them out and send them away, what we're basically saying is go fix this by yourself. We don't mm-hmm. want to hear about it or know about it. And, and again, it's perpetuating that message that says the church isn't a safe place to deal with sexual brokenness. And that, unfortunately, is a message that even people in our church are getting that says, go see a counselor about this. We don't deal with that here. There's not grace for anyone in that situation. And so, as you and I would both acknowledge, there there are lines that get crossed where someone cannot stay in their role. But even then, I would wonder, what would it look like for a church, even as they're removing a pastor, to say, we we can't allow you to continue serving, but because of our love for you as a person— we're going to actually walk with you and even offer some of our resources to help you on a plan of recovery because we're, we're more concerned about your personal holiness and wholeness before God than mm-hmm. we are whether or not you're employed at our church. And man, to me, that would be love, even in those extreme situations, to, to walk with someone's restoration, even if you've had to remove them from their job. Now, as we are running out of time here, what can you say to the, as you put it earlier, the pew sitter, you know? the just the the average person that's going to their church they're they may be listening to this and going okay listen i'm not an elder at my church i'm not in a leadership position but i'm being stirred by what you're saying i i I, how do i encourage my pastor i don't want this to be the case in my own church what would you say to encourage that person as they are uh, trying to respond to what you're saying here today yeah I think one thing we can all do is just look at, do I unintentionally kind of buy into a pastor on a pedestal idea that that I, I like the idea that my pastor is really close to God, even if I'm not? And are we inadvertently treating them in a way that we want them to be that because it makes us feel better about ourselves? Because if we can recognize some of that within us, we can repent to that person and just say, Lord, help me to remember that my pastor is just another human being. And I'm thankful you've called them to lead, but I, I pray that you would not help me to perpetuate an environment where they have to perform to be my pastor. Um, So I I think there's an individual heart issue there that we can start with that just says, help me to love them as a person first and not kind of glorify them into some supernatural role that is Mm -hmm. only meant for Jesus. And and then I think outwardly in our actions and behaviors, 
to the degree that we have relationship with a, a pastor or a staff member to, to find ways to communicate, you know, you don't have to impress me to be my pastor. You don't, you don't have to be perfect. I, I appreciate your humanness because as you allow God to deal with brokenness in your life, I'm actually encouraged to do the same in mine. And I think we can actually give permission to our leaders and pastors to be real, even if we're not in leadership. And and we can be a part of creating that environment of grace and, and humility. So, I mean, maybe the last thing we can do is if, if we're also living in vulnerability, if we're mm-hmm. facing the issues in our life, then we're going to be contributing to a church culture that could be doing that for everyone. So if, if the pastor's not sharing any of their weakness, but neither are we, uh, I don't think we can really complain if at the end of the day, something comes out that none of us knew about. If, if none of us are entering into that, we're just perpetuating that, that culture of hiddenness and performance. So uh, those are a couple of things I think we could do, and um, I think it would shift over time. It would shift the culture of an entire church. Well, Nick, where can uh, where can our listeners go to uh, get more help on this particular topic of of dealing with you know church leaders struggling with sexual sin? What do you guys have at Pure Desire? Yeah, if they go to puredesire.org, we have a counseling page, and right through that counseling page, someone could request a consultation, um, and that could be a pastor that just confidentially wants to find out if the counseling would be right for them. Or it, it could be for a, a church leader that wants to find out, hey, how could we support our pastor to get this help? And then we also have online groups, which we have found has been a great place for leaders to, to engage in their healing and recovery. We've, we've had a number of groups start that are for pastors only so that the process they walk through, they're walking through with other pastors. And yeah, all that's at puredesire.org. And the last thing I'd recommend, you know, I, I wrote my story of being a pastor and walking through this in my book, Setting Us Free. Uh, an unexpected journey of grace. And that mm-hmm. book, Setting Us Free, is also on our, our store that's there at puredesire.org, or it's it's on Amazon as well. So uh, if they want to hear more of my personal story, that's where they could find that. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being open with your story and uh, really being willing to kind of build that bridge for other pastors who are feeling like they're just trapped in that double bind. And uh, I'm always glad to to connect with you. And thanks for sharing with our uh, listeners today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a topic I love to share about, and I pray that the God uses us to bring culture transformation into our churches. Mm-hmm. Well, and listeners, we're going to put all that information in the show notes, but please go check out puredesire.org and, uh, and Nick's book and the counseling services they provide. But we're always glad that you're with us, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.